Hello and welcome to the TPM Podcast with your host, Mario Gerard. Today we are going to talk about microservices and the advantages of using them and the reason for the increased adoption. I have a very special guest with me, Vidya Agarwal, and he's a renowned speaker and a published author, a Microsoft MVP, and an established professional in the area of building microservices. He's currently working at T-Mobile as a principal architect. Would you like to quickly introduce yourself, Vidya? Uh, hi, Mario. This is Vidya Vrat Agarwal. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate the opportunity to talk about microservices. You are doing awesome job in hosting these TPM podcasts, which is really contributing to the community. And I am honored to be part of this as well. So as you have just briefly introduced me, I am working with T-Mobile for past two years as a principal architect. There I have owned various microservice initiatives around payments and order management and many others. Recently, I moved to a different team. Earlier, I was working with B2C. Now I am working with B2B. And T-Mobile is really, really focused on the digital transformation, building a whole lot of microservices and being a principal architect, my responsibilities around aligning business vision and technical direction, preparing roadmaps and making sure that technical teams are really delivering and aligning their solutions to those business guidelines and roadmaps. Awesome to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. And when you talk about digital transformations, what does that actually mean for an enterprise like T-Mobile? So for any enterprise, I think digital transformation has very specific things in it, regardless of what industry and what company somebody is with. So for example, specifically for T-Mobile, we are a very large telecom company. We depend on so many backend systems. We yeah. have like more than three or four billing systems. There are multiple payment domains. There are address, customer, billing, shipping, yeah. and many others like any organization has. Yeah. They, since there are so many moving parts, it is very hard for any organization to really go and deliver things right on time and adhere to customer needs and meet what market wants at what time. So in order to meet the demand, the speed, the agility, and the, the value to deliver to customers, somebody needs to adopt two things. One is the agile mindset yeah. and the DevOps culture. So agile mindset and DevOps culture are the two key ingredients into the digital transformation. If a company is not really deploying their code very often, they are not having a small code stack. They yeah. are holding long code life cycle, like piling up code for months and weeks yeah. and having very large sprints, very large teams working on monoliths. Yeah, yeah. Those organizations are not digitally transformed. Any organization who has digitally transformed themselves are the ones who adopted these two things. In addition to, they learned we need to break our capabilities aligned to business or the domains. Yeah. So if there is one big monolith where you do billing, shipping, address, payments, everything in one, one code base, one application, you build it once, you deploy it once, you scale it once, you monitor it once, everything is that and you are not adopting DevOps culture yeah. as well, then I do not think those organizations are really on the path to be digitally transformed. Those organizations who adopted it, they broken down these things into smaller services, which we are going to talk, talk more about. in yeah, this yeah, yeah. podcast. Yeah, and, and the reason, I was thinking about this, the reason behind somebody trying to do this is bringing 
foster value to the end customer, right? That's right. It's how all about quick, time to market. Time to market is one. And then how quickly can you give the customer that value instead of saying, oh, it's going to take me eight months to deliver this end value to the customer. Can I deliver it in smaller chunks? Like you mentioned, right? The agile, whole agile manifesto and the agile model of making sure the customers see uh, incrementally small value in shorter periods of time, which then kind of culminates into a larger, a big picture. Uh, That's right. That I- is where we have the MVP. Yeah. Smaller, smaller the, chunks. The minimum viable product. So let's get started. So um, what is a microservice in your opinion? So there are so many different definitions. Yes. I will keep it very simple for the layman perspective, how I see it. Yeah. So before microservice, there was monolith. And monolith, as the name says, it's one big, chunky, bulky thing. Microservice is breaking those monoliths apart into small autonomous services, which are aligned with the bounded context or the business capability, which can be built by one single team, deployed by that same team, and is scaled by the same team. And managed and operated, and managed by, the, and operated by, by the same, the same team. team. Right. And that's why for such teams... This team which does it is also known as a two pizza team. Yeah. Which means that a small team is good enough in agile terminology yeah. or according to agile standards, the team of seven to nine people. Yeah. That team will build the microservice, that team will own the microservice. Yeah. So if there is a payment and billing, then one team owns just the billing and the other team owns just the payment. How do you see the life cycle of these teams? Do you see them like making incremental changes over a period of like every, if they're there for like three years, if this team is there, this team always continues to make incremental changes. That's right, yes. And that's why a little bit microservices are a little bit more complex in a way. Yeah. And the productivity for many organizations may go down and it's bound to go down because there are so many moving parts. Since there is no one big monolith, you need to do a lot of things like you need to really collaborate over the communication, which yeah. is another agile yes. manifesto. Yes. You need to really look at the backlogs. Yeah. And many organizations like T-Mobile as well are going above and beyond agile. Now they are going behind safe. That is yeah. scaled yeah, agile, scale framework, agile framework. Where you invite all the stakeholders, you get their confidence vote that, hey, you know what I am billing and you are payment. We are looking for this feature to be developed, delivered. Yeah. To our customers, can you adhere to those things? Yeah. Then they will say, okay, yes, we are ready for that or we yeah. are not. Then you yeah. do all this communication dance yeah. Yeah. between various teams. And yeah. since there are so many moving parts, yeah. Yeah. it is a little bit more complex. Yeah. But if you do it right, yeah. it's really fun. It's it's amazing yeah. to work on microservices and get the value out there. Yeah, so I, I was um, thinking about why the technical program management role has kind of, I feel it's increased. The number of technical program managers needed in the market has kind of gone up in the last five to six years. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons, I feel the core reasons is there's so much communication now needed. Correct. Right? And the communication is not just from a project management standpoint. It's a little bit of technical communication of how my API functions or how somebody else's API functions and how do these upstream and downstream systems kind of interact. And I think that's where the technical program managers kind of play a very vital role because an end feature cannot be delivered unless there are seven or eight microservice teams which kind of come together to deliver something at the very end right so that's where i feel the technical program manager kind of plays a pivotal role in bringing that to life 
So we spoke a little bit about uh, microservices, and you said they're small autonomous services, and they're uh, tightly scoped. Can you give an example or elaborate a little bit about that? So what happens is if you are having you know, some services which you need to build. Yeah. So when you talk about like um, a small and tightly scoped, loosely coupled, yeah. bounded context, yeah. what all these means are that whenever you look for any new feature coming out, yeah. any TPM or whoever is the Lead. owner yeah. of the technical architect, stack yeah. or architect, so these roles really, you know, step onto each other's foot yeah. here and there. Yeah, yeah. But in my view, all are important and everybody is doing a great job out there. So the key is that somebody really needs to figure out where the bounded context is. And what do you mean by bounded context? Bounded context means the business capability. Okay. So for example, you are shipping something. Yeah. Whenever you ship something, you need to do address verification. Okay. Now this address itself is a separate business capability. Yeah. Does it mean now that shipping service should have the code of address validation yeah. or address validation by itself is a In separate, separate microservice. So there are so many companies out there yeah. which actually has built services which many companies procure, have licenses yeah. for yeah. to do the address validation. Yeah, yeah. I think In T-Mobile, we have a separate domain for that. Okay. I think about tax as well, right? Exactly. Like vertex, right? Fraud. Fraud. Fraud, there are fraud so verification. Many, so many. So you might use a third-party service. You, you might not be in-house. Yeah. It's up to you. Yeah. But yes, there are many third party then you build your own abstraction on top of it yeah and then you cater the needs within the organization and enterprise to cater those needs that all various teams which are doing the same stuff can utilize or funnel their api calls to your api call and then you go to the back end okay so there could be several microservices just to do something like shipping and they could be internal services, they could be external, external services, services as well. So uh, what are the advantages of microservices? Well, as we you know, learned so far and we discussed a couple of times already that microservices, as name also says, they are so small. Yeah. Since they are small in nature, it's easy to deploy. Yeah. Then the scalability is easy because you are just scaling something very small in size. Yeah. Then maintainability is also advantage because you just focused only on one thing at a time. You are a two pizza team member, you only own your service. You just want to do that thing so right that nothing falls apart. Now problem isolation is another advantage. Now whenever you do triaging, you run into issues, it's very easy to identify which service is breaking. Now another thing is single responsibility, that's the key. Separation of concern is another advantage. And then the team which owns whatever microservice, they are building really strong and deep domain knowledge around it. So these are some of the advantages of the teams and the organizations which has adopted microservices architecture. When you say separation of concern, what do you mean uh, by separation? So separation of concern is actually achievable even in monoliths as well. Okay. So to give you an example, let's say I'm building a monolith, which could be think of any MVC based architecture. You yeah. do Java, Spring Boot, MVC, .NET, C Sharp, whatever language you are using, MVC is a standard industry pattern. Now let's say I am building customer there. Now what will I do? I will have a customer controller and the POJO or POCO for the customer. And now I need to build address. Now, I'm not going to put address there. If I do it, I am violating mm -hmm. separation of concern. So what, okay. I, what people do, they will build a separate controller and separate POJO, POCO or the model classes for customer. I achieved it there also, but it is still monolith. However, it is physically 
and the best way achieved in microservice architecture because now address is even physically separated that concern which i had for example logging or address or security or whatever concern you have is completely separate in a different container or maybe a microservice yeah. or maybe a lambda function or serverless wherever you are deploying your services is completely and physically separated so yeah we spoke a little bit about physical separation right so for people who are listening in uh, when we talk about physical separation what i'd like to think about how i think about a microservice is that it's running on a set of vms which has a load balancer in front of it that's right right and then there are say five or six vms might have auto scaling when there are more calls there are more vms automatically deployed or it could be a lambda function as you said but you know that that particular code path just is there on those microservices and it's, there's a separate microservice for something upstream or downstream from that that's right. and that's when when you talk about um separating where the problem is it's very easy for problem isolation that oh the tax service is not functioning properly or the shipping service is not functioning properly which is why we are having a lot of lag in the entire um, you know response time mm-hmm. right uh, let's take some something very simple if you think about something like creating an account in T-Mobile or any any web service that flow that API flow right probably goes through four or five or six different microservices right mm-hmm. so you might have something where your first account creation if you think about it there's something taking in um, the customers username and the password and the email address and then there's one which creates the customer entity from there right there's something which is then looking at the payment and making sure that the payment information which is captured is correct there so there are five or six different microservices even for a very small piece of functionality which people might think oh that's just one it could be four or five different microservices that's right so in t-mobile we call it customer journey yeah or any website let's yeah. say you want to pay one time bill yeah in order to pay one time bill as you just clearly mentioned there are multiple things you are doing yeah people who does not understand they might think it's a monolith or yeah. just one single thing yeah. but it's not actually behind the scenes it take multiple hops yeah those multiple hops are actually happening either synchronous asynchronous as yes. the design needed yeah. to multiple backend systems yeah so in order to search a customer we have a separate customer domain yeah we make a call there we search you first yeah. who you are yeah. whether you are in the system or not yeah. once same for any organization yeah. Yeah. once customer is found then we look for the bill information how much do you owe us yeah. what is the minimum due what is the current statement yeah. what is the last statement balance and what not yeah yeah then that call has been made and that's how our ui yes is you know rendering all that information behind the scenes yeah yeah and then we take you to the payment information yeah and then there is a payment domain involved yeah and the payment microservice is called yeah Now in many organizations there is one more thing which sits on top of microservices many times to render your UI what yeah. you see which is called experience services yeah. it's called many people call it aggregator yeah or in pattern terminology it is also called uh, scatter and gather pattern okay so what happen in that case is let's say i am rendering your UI and i still need to find information from multiple domains multiple backends now i am firing up two or three calls to render your screen in front of you to render the ui how do i do it 
maybe backend is not talking the exact same thing back to me yeah. what ui wants to show to the customer because ui if you just think about the ui ui might have the customer name which is populated because i'm just giving my say i'm giving my customer id when i'm doing a one time payment the customer name is populated the customer phone number is populated there then the amount he owes is populated yeah. and then it's asking for some kind of tax id so all of these are different services and it's kind of aggregating that's right so from your ui yeah your your call goes to the proxy it could be any api gateway yeah and the load balancer as you yeah. called out yeah. and then it goes to your experience service okay which is an aggregator yeah which is another microservice hosted in a container yeah or wherever you are yeah you know deploying it yeah. as per your industry and organization standards and technical roadmap and then it goes out and scatter to multiple domains asynchronously gather all the information do all the massaging and scrubbing as needed and then send it back to the yeah. ui but all these things in today's world most of the organizations are you know gravitated towards two second rule within 2 second they want yeah. something to pop up on the screen yeah many times it's not possible that you get everything in 2 seconds but the key here is in 2 second if you are not able to render the screen you need to give some talking point back to the on customer. the ui to the customer that what exactly is going on yeah for example please hang on we are processing your payment yeah right yeah. something like that so this scatter and gather pattern will get all the data back and beautifully render on your ui and you will see oh it was there one call behind it or there yeah, are multiple yeah. calls behind it it's all black box for people out there yeah yeah but when we are building it there are so much stuff happening behind the scenes yeah and we were talking a little bit about synchronous versus asynchronous right where would you use synchronous calling versus asynchronous calling so think about it this way let's say let's I, define that let's yes, define okay. synchronous let's, let's define yeah. it first synchronous means when your thread is locked until the response has been received from the backend so the next the call, call is not made next call cannot be made yes. until this call has been resolved yeah you are in lock state asynchronous is more like fire and forget yeah so whenever response will come back it will just come back but you don't worry about it yeah now since you asked for an example let me give you one real world scenario of synchronous yeah let's say i am paying a by credit card okay. to any company okay every company which is running credit card payments yeah. or any sort of payment call it any xyz company yeah. on this planet earth they all have some sort of fraud system in the back end yeah there is always fraud system yeah. sitting out there even though you are buying stuff daily your credit cards are stored in your e wallet and what not still there are fraud systems whenever fraud system will trigger something it is synchronous the moment you punch your credit card information you say okay order now or check out or whatever yeah. you do the fraud system will lock in and now that transaction is synchronous there is no way your order can be processed and without then it goes the, to the order confirmation page without and the fraud system without, saying yes yes exactly okay so now you are in that locked state nothing else can happen and many times what happens when you receive the order confirmation that not necessarily mean that order system received your order interesting what happens many time is since your payment processed inventory check also happened at the same time that is another synchronous call yeah before i am placing a, an order yeah. i want to check the inventory yeah does inventory has that yeah. t-mobile has its own yeah. standards yeah. to make sure how many items i need in an inventory even though you are buying just one one item we have our own standards defined same yeah. as for every organization that is another synchronous call because unless you really logged it and checked it i cannot place your order right here yeah so that call is made 
in case of fraud is logged it's a synchronous thing until fraud resolved it either say yes green light you are good to go or they say no you are not a good person yeah. this credit card cannot be processed you are blacklisted candidate for yeah. whatever reason or you are there's you actual of- fraud that somebody else is using you are you're making a purchase from france for example and this credit card has never made a purchase in exactly. france exactly so then it gets locked that's right so that's interesting so that's where uh, that's the difference between synchronous and asynchronous communication and, uh, and both has their own importance at times yeah. and that's why these tpms when they do technical spec architects all these people need to be cognizant and aware which one will benefit more to the company yeah and it's not that there is asynchronous so we do not need synchronous yeah. both has its own importance and, and values yeah. based on what customer journey and flow yeah. and technical problem you are trying to solve and that's why right sometimes you place an order you get an order confirmation but after like 5 minutes or 7 minutes you might get another email saying hey sorry we could not process your order that happened with me as well <laughs> yeah anytime you are right just exactly yeah. there you go yeah so many companies who doesn't want to do that yeah. you have to really make that call synchronous but the the disadvantage of synchronous calls is since your thread is logged yeah. customer is waiting on something to hear back from yeah yeah because you are making calls until first call is resolved other call cannot go yeah so there are pros and cons of yeah, it yeah. but yes these sometimes are the they just say hey 99% of our calls get accepted exactly. so so just let's give that's a customer just a yes, yeah, that's let's give a customer message correct. on the on the screen saying order has been placed that's right. but that 1% of calls where there is some problem either you have the fraud check failing or the billing method is not accepted then we'll get back to the customer and say hey your order is not processed right. please try again after some time or something like that so interesting so let's talk a little bit about um, monolithic applications versus microservices right monolithic applications i think were the kind of the standard up to like what 5 7 years ago or like when do you think monolithic our monolithic are still there it's still there still there in enterprise is still there i don't think it is going to retire soon in okay. any near time the reason is because as you initially when we started this conversation you may ask about digital transformation yeah yeah so not every company is ready or yeah. really looking forward or it's not in their roadmap at all to really digitally transform yeah and if your business is really excelling doing well with monolith and you are managing it well and all yeah. that stuff and you do not have those many complicated domains moving parts yeah and all these things then i think that company is fine but in order to be really you know match your footsteps with our industry yeah where technology is growing yeah where it industry is leading towards yeah then the sooner you come out of that shell yeah and really start migrating your monolith slowly into yeah. microservices is better yeah the longer you hold this adoption yeah. the more troubles yeah. and the problems will come because you are continuously adding new stuff to your yeah. monolith as well to yeah. to keep it you know to keep it to keep be functional yeah, yeah, yeah. and and serving the business needs yeah, yeah. now that's why there are some guidelines as well that no come many times why organizations do not do it because not many people understand how to really transform from monolith to microservice yeah what they think is they think it's one tall order one fine day we have to fall everything apart we have to stop our services and we go monolith to microservice this is not the right strategy to do it the adoption of microservices from monolith has to be very strategic and that can happen with something that you pick one service maybe your lowest priority service yeah call it let's say address validation service right people know their address yeah 
it's very rare somebody can you know mistype yeah. things can happen whatever service is low priority for you i'm yeah. sure every organization knows their priority yeah. list for the apis they have yeah pick the lowest priority service and then take that code base out as in monolith i was talking earlier yeah. to you about the mvc controllers you have yeah. take just that controller those pojo poco whatever model classes you have out and then put it in a separate code base altogether yeah and start including the dependencies which you have from the monolith refer to those dependencies take this code base out fine tune it as per the new technology stack you might have chosen to build microservices yeah. for example if you are on java it could be spring boot if you are on microsoft it could be service fabric yeah. all these are very cool niche areas and platforms which are catching the needs of all the microservice needs now just take this thing as a microservice start building it set up a small team which has the agile mindset and devops culture and build around it and then see how functional it is if it works fine all your test cases are passing all these things look good just change the endpoint to this one yeah and then slowly start transforming the next service yeah. and then next service so the approach industry needs to take or the organizations who are not there yet needs to take is crawl walk and run don't try to do it all don't at once don't try to do it all together that's yeah. the best suggestion i can make for any company who is not doing it and my recommendation would be the sooner they start adopting it it's better yeah no i i was part of an organization which uh, like most organizations had a very big monolithic application and then they wanted to launch mobile apps for their customers right and when they tried to start doing that right they were like well mobile applications uh, mobile apps don't work very well with monolithic applications mm-hmm. it all has to be kind of microservice based right that's right so they took that as a primary use case and then slowly took out pieces and started doing microservices for each of those pieces mm-hmm. but this involves two changes right one is going from a monolithic application onto a microservice based ar- architecture but it also requires a lot of people changes that's right right so it's so a cultural change cultural change unless you're that was the next thing you as you brought it thank you so much for that so it's a culture shift yes if your organization does not have that culture shift yeah there is no way you can do digital transformation where microservices just one player into it yeah yeah and when you talk about culture and shift right a dev team now creates owns and operates that particular microservice that's right right they have to be on call yes so it is <laughs> like there are there is a thing they call it like we build it we own it yeah So, it's so a different yes, process different compared to mindset altogether. Monolithic applications yes. in general have an ops team sitting That's somewhere, right. which actually there's actually a deployment team first. That's right. Right, which actually deploys a code, mm-hmm. which gates and tests and deploys a code. Then there's a team which actually separate team which actually operates when there's a problem with the, a server, like you know adding a new server. All that is. manually done and now all that is come kind of gone with microservices right so uh, it's an interesting uh, shift uh, what else do we need to talk about from a monolithic applications versus microservice standpoint other thing is like most of the organizations have monoliths as we were talking about the customer and billing and all these things what happened in those cases is that where this information is living all this information is somehow stored in some sort of relational or non relational yeah. databases yeah. right so in those cases for monoliths usually 99% time there will be only one single database like one large relational database call it oracle sql whatever yeah. you have 
of that organization's choice based on technology stack, that database will be one bulky monolith database as well, which is hosting all the tables, yeah. which has relationship, primary key, foreign key, all that yeah. good stuff, stored procedures, triggers, and whatnot. And then housing all those schemas of the entire application in one single database. Whereas with microservice, since we did bounded context, based on the business capability, we are dividing and concurring. What happens in that case is every responsibility has its own database. If you see, there is no primary key and foreign key relationship. Yeah. Because and mostly in such cases, all the databases are NoSQL as well. Yeah. Or there are relational as well. In T-Mobile, we have both. Yeah. Relational as well and then non-relational as well. We call it NoSQL, right? Yeah. So in that cases, every domain or every business capability will have its own database that is aligned with just one single microservice. So if we are talking about payment, for example, yeah. then there will be separate database for payment, which has no primary key, foreign key established with billing. And billing has its own set of services. We collectively call it microservice, which has its own database. And it has no primary key, foreign key going in and out to yeah. payment. However, at any given time, payment cannot be successful without billing because billing knows how much to bill and what payment needs to be collected. Got it. So these two things will be now talking based on the events. So there will be a publish and a subscriber model or some sort of message queuing happening between these systems. They talk to each other based on the events published. And uh, you spoke, we, as we were talking so much about microservices, with the advent of microservices, there's been a lot of use of queuing methodologies, right? Uh, like Kafka That's or right. streaming yes, streaming yes, methodologies. Yes. Why is it so important? Let's give a... a so in T-Mobile as well, and many other companies just called out Kafka. Yeah. So Kafka is the same thing, you know? It's the based on the messages, yeah. based on the events. Yeah. So think about it this way. So... Rather than going into too much detail, I will just introduce or share one more architecture pattern, which is very, very prominent in microservice architecture is called at CQRS. Okay. CQRS stands for command, query, responsibility, segregation pattern. Okay. Now, what does it mean? That means is separating even the responsibilities of command and query with two different systems. Now, what is command? In terms of CRUD, yeah. you know, create, read, update, delete. Yeah. These are the operations. Yeah. Since we are talking about microservices, REST architecture, there are HTTP verbs. Yeah. Get, post, put, delete. Yeah. Map all these things to CRUD now. You will know what we are talking about. In this case, what happens is if you are creating a new customer each time, and then you are reading the information of that customer or the other customer from the same database, yeah. then your architecture is not right. It's not scalable. So what even in T-Mobile and many organizations adopted the pattern, especially with microservice and digital transformation and all that good stuff out there is, they adopted CQRS. Once again, command, query, responsibility, segregation. In this case, what happens is you have a schema to write the customer information into the database. Now think about it. What you are writing may not be necessarily given back to the customers of your backend to read the information. Maybe you are writing SSN as well. Yeah. But are you giving it back SSN every time? Maybe no. not. 
So many times industry observed and all these technology leaders observed that what we are writing is not necessarily being read all the time. Yeah. That is first thing. Means a schema could be different. But when you are housing these things in one database, there is no way schema could be different. Only your API contract will define get and post. Yeah. What you are posting, what you are getting. Besides load, the scalability is another concern. Yeah. You are sometimes in some situations you are writing more. Think about the Apple launch we did with T-Mobile. In those days, we were searching from the product catalog, checking the inventory and processing payment. Nobody asked, change my address, change my line, add a new service. That was not the workload for us in those days or that night. You understand what I mean? So many times people think, okay, how do we scale it? When we are scaling it, let's keep the read and the commands, which is create, update and delete separate. separate and in many cases, a schema could be de- separate. Separate. Let's talk about a schema is separate or does not. It's not separate. Doesn't matter. Let's disregard that for now. Okay. Coming back to the point, how do they communicate now? So what happened in this case, as you said, Kafka. Yeah. There are event mechanisms established. We call it event sourcing. Event sourcing. What it does, it also call it pub sub. Yeah. Or publisher and subscriber model. Yeah. So what will happen is. The moment a customer is written into the database, it will publish an event. Okay. I received a new customer. Customer ID is this, 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 whatever. And then it will publish some information. Now, since it is publishing, it will have some subscribers, which will subscribe to that event. Now, this is the CQRS pattern. So the database schema and the API set, which was only posting and doing the command responsibility is publishing. And the read instance of the database is subscribing to this and it will read it within seconds. The moment you create it, within few milliseconds, the same customer will be found in the read replica of the database. And now the API to get that is going to a different database. In T-Mobile, we have billing domain. There are multiple billing domains we have for prepaid, postpaid. There are multiple for prepaid, multiple for postpaid. Now, all these things, we are heavily dependent on such Kafka, event messaging, and all these things are taking place in industry to do that. Not only among billing CQRS, there are other customers also, which are looking for the same information so they can adopt it. Think about billing and payment. So how do they communicate with each other? So all these things also can take place using these events. Yeah, and I'm thinking like, supposing a, a new customer is created and we want to send a marketing message to them, right? You want to send an SMS, for example, That's hey, right. yeah, welcome your, your new customer, a new a new line has been added to That's your right. account. So notification service. Notification service. So the moment notification service is subscribed to your event messaging, to your publisher, yeah. now they will bring the information wrap it up in the notification service and you will get either an email or SMS, uh, SMS or, whatever. or whatever it takes. So there are a lot of people who uh, are reading from that queue and, and then saying, what do I need to do based on this event? Which, That's right. Which yes. occurred, right? That's so, so the queuing services are now kind of an important component of microservice, the microservice patterns itself. It is. It depends on how complicated and how elegant you yeah. want to make it. Think about it. Like there is no need to be CQRS, but if you really want to be that elegant and adhere and align with the top notch microservice architecture patterns, then it is advisable to go behind CQRS. But if you are not doing it, you are still fine. And in that case, exactly. You are still fine. You you may evolve because there is no such thing of architecture. Now the new thing is coming now, evolutionary architecture. 
because it's so hard to achieve north star architecture yeah you are always moving towards north star right yeah. so organizations are evolving yeah so it's hard to lock on one architecture your roadmap is always under development you're always yeah. looking for new things so in that case you can do it later but that's not the end of the world as you said yeah. if you are not doing it and it's kind of the iterative development model right exactly let's try to get something out soon rather than make it 100% the best architecture let's create the microservice first maybe let's after that let's introduce a quick queuing mechanism right. let's make my database more scalable let's add caching for example or exactly. do, do all those kind of things i think is one step at a time one step as we just discussed like crawl walk and run yeah if you try to boil the ocean it's just not may, never possible that will fall apart so Hi everyone, I hope you enjoyed the part one of the three-part podcast on microservices with Vidya. I've added a link of Vidya's LinkedIn profile on my website, www.mariagerard.com. You can click on the podcast section and that'll take you to the webpage. The webpage also has several diagrams drawn by Vidya himself and links to several other articles he's written. Don't forget to listen to part two and three of this podcast, so stay tuned. The part two and three of the podcast are also live. See you on the other side.